A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table, or one who serves? Or is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who stayed with me in my trials, and I assign, and I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay. We get this really interesting moment where the disciples are arguing who's the betrayer. We, we start there. Who's the betrayer? It's very interesting in the next verse. It goes straight away to and a dispute about who's the greatest is evolved. It's kind of excruciatingly comical that it starts off saying is it you is it you like who who would have done this and then suddenly you can imagine the conversation going well it's not me because i'm pretty good i follow jesus quite well wait a second no you're not that good i'm i'm pretty good and suddenly moving away from who is the betrayer to who's not that bad to who's the greatest right after jesus in the passover has basically said i'm gonna die this is my blood I'm pouring out for you to be cleansed. The Passover meal, this is a meal they would have had at least twice over with Jesus. But themselves in that time, in the Jewish culture, they would have had it since they were born. This seven to eight day festival would have been something that they would have done from the very beginning, from, from birth in the Jewish culture, they'll be brought in as part of that. It seems like what Christmas would have been, right? Every year it's Christmas, every year it's Passover. And Jesus has just broken down the Passover. Um, please read, uh, please listen to Ian's preach, by the way, to really help us understand that. Jesus has broken down this meal and essentially said, this meal is about me. I'm, I'm the lamb. I'm the last Passover type thing. And their thought pattern has gone from, who's the betrayer? To, I'm the greatest. Do you see? It's, it's really, from a suffering place, it's comical, but it's comical because it's painful. To just see the flow that they've gone on. It's just this moment where once again, they've seen what they wanted to see and completely let something else rise up. It's interesting how pride, even in this moment, slowly bubbles up. Just slowly starts to trickle up from the surface and cast out in such a fascinating way. One verse, it changes. What I love, once again, about our Saviour is that his response is not through massive um, rebuking, it's not through a way that is harsh or hard. I mean, if I'm honest, I think as that dispute would have gone on, if I was in Jesus' shoes, and praise God I'm not, I would have either had one response, which is, well, two responses. One of them being, guys, I've just told you I'm about to die. Do you want to do something here? Like, just be like, why, why, 
talking about this? This really doesn't matter. I'm literally about to die in a day, and this is what you're doing? That's one response. The other response is, guys, I'm obviously the greatest. Why are you saying it's between you? I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm him. Jesus doesn't do either. He picks this gentle way of approaching how to get them to align a bit better by giving them an example of what they would have seen. Gentiles kings, remember they were Jews at the time. So they would have seen Gentiles in a way, in a negative way. Gentile king lording authority over people in this kind of way of saying, um, if I am the ruler, you are my peasants and I rule over you in this wonderful way, in, in this authoritative way. And also saying that actually use the word benefactors in a way of saying, I gain, look at me. Look at the way that I lead. How good am I to do that? Notice how Jesus uses this simple simile to say, this is kind of what you're doing, disciples. And yet he then has this sentence that I think is like a hot knife through butter right into their soul by saying, but not so with you. Disciples arguing, who's the greatest? And Jesus saying, yeah, there's some kings that do that, but not so with you. How gentle, but how direct is that? Jesus paints this picture of two similes, the youngest and the one who serves, the servant, or waiter, you can see it. Youngest, well, in that culture, the youngest was nothing. If you're born the youngest, you are nothing in the family. Welcome. That is your status. You are the one to serve everyone else. So in a sense, Jesus is saying, that who is seen as nothing should be seen as the greatest. He then gives his imagery of one who serves, or he gives this example, this rhetorical question about um, the one who, oh goodness, one who waits at tables. This one who serves at tables. Now, picture this. You saw my iconic images. If I was to give you these two, one who was a waiter, and the other one who's coming in filming TikToks and splashing cash, who would you say is greatest in society's eyes? It's probably the rude dude on the, on the road. <laughs> it's probably him, splashing cash that kind of way. It's, it's not hard for us to imagine that. But what Jesus is saying is, no, no, that is not it. In ancient China, they used to grow out their fingernails to basically say, I am too rich to do anything myself. And they have servants to help them. Now, don't get me wrong, the whole fingernail thing doesn't still talk about our culture, but it's probably not dissimilar to what we feel. In workplace, the boss is king, and as you go higher up, you do less work because you have more minions to do your work. It's, it's what culture portrays as a way of what status looks like by who has a greater responsibility, hierarchy, status, and leadership skill is one who sits in that place and directs. But yet, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus model? Um, he says, rather, if we go back one, sorry. It's not the one who climbs at the table, that rhetorical question. 
but I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus didn't need to say, I'm the greatest. They knew it. And so what he says is, I am the one who serves. In fact, what we read in John's Gospel of the same account is right before this Passover, Jesus washed their feet. Now, if I was loving about this, what I was going to do is I've got a little wash basin and I was going to kind of pour some water in and I was going to be like, Ian, get your toes out. Let me wash your feet. Go on. <laughs> now, if I was to do that, you would all probably thought I've gone mad. Probably more Gemma and Elijah knowing what Ian's feet are like. But imagine at that time, they didn't wear shoes. They didn't have clean robes. It was dusty. It was ashy. They had open-toed sandals. And Jesus washed their feet. This is something that the servant of the house would have done. Jesus, the great I am, washed their dusty, dirty feet. In that moment, it recalls in John's Gospel that Peter was like, Jesus, wash all of me if you're going to do that. Once again, getting the wrong idea about it, it wasn't the fact of the physical act of washing of the feet, it was the purpose to say, I am the servant. This is what I do. At times, I'll be honest, maybe it's just because I'm loud. At times, I want to be seen. I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, maybe you're holier than me, but there are times where I do stuff maybe intentionally to be seen. My loudness unfortunately goes before. Maybe it is with you that when it comes to serving, either in church, but maybe even, let's not take the two hours of church that we have, outside of church, the general attitude of serving, we don't want to do either because we don't get recognised for it, or we do do it because we want to get recognised for it. Picture Sunday morning, right? It's you know it's wonderful. We've got the worship band. How wonderful this is! It's great, right? We see this, but we don't see the person who set up the chairs. And I'm, I'm so grateful for Steve Harper. I'm so grateful for Dirk and Vicky, and I'm so glad that as we launch them and as we send them. They are servant-hearted people that love to serve in the background. Where, where are we at with this? It shouldn't be hard to build up a serving team for different areas of church, but I think sometimes our pride bubbles up to the surface because either we don't want to do it because we're not going to get recognition for it, or we do want to do it because we're going to get recognition for it. Actually, we need to be more like Jesus. He didn't wash the disciples' feet for them to be recognising him for it. He washed the disciples' feet because he loved them to wash their feet. Charles Spurgeon says, um, King of kings is a title full of majesty, but servant of servants is the name our Lord preferred when he was here below. Servant of servants. If you want to be like Christ, become a servant of servants. Become a servant. That's what Jesus is calling out here. To be great is not about all the stuff that you do. To be great is to serve. A church that serves is one of our value points in our church values under the banner community. It is something that as a church, we believe we want to become like. A church that serves. There's no caveat to that. There's not a church that serves and, you know, gets all this title and status. It's a church that serves. Now, don't get me wrong. 
What I'm not saying is you serve and you deal with it. I believe God honors obedience. He honors service. In fact, Jesus, in his verses, in the last bit, he says, you are those who stayed with me in my trials. You have obediently been with me. And you will be honored for that. It talks about this fact that they're going to be sitting on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Some commentators believe this is a reference to Revelations 21. Um, I actually think that it more aligns with what other commentators say, which is them being put in position of the new church. So if you remember in Luke 20 um, and 21, we have it where Jesus basically says to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you're out of office. You're no longer leading God's people. And I believe this statement is actually saying, you're coming into office. You're actually going to be leading God's people, the new church, what it's going to look like. God's chosen people. They have been um, honoured for their serving. It's why I think in, in Romans 12, where it talks about marks of a true Christian, one of the things it says is love one another, outdo one another, honour one another. We need to honour one another. Heck, it's right. So, teas and coffees, those outside, you have people lovingly serve them. When was the last time you might have thanked them? Question. I, I don't know. I, I'm praying and hoping that question is very irrelevant. But I urge you and honour, like I asked today, let's honour people. If you're going down to pick up the kids, honour them. Thank them. It's not thanking them for status, it's thanking them to honour them. Do you see what I'm saying here? It's really important we, we get hold of this. Our service is to glorify God and to join in with the mission rather than achieve our goals. He will bless us, but maybe not in the way that we de um, desire, but in the way that he wants to honour and glorify as he pours his love over us as obedient children. God honours us in our service, but our question we need to answer is from what place are we serving from? Is it about so we can say that we are the greatest, or is it about saying he is the greatest and I want to serve for him? told you it wasn't going to be easy. Let's carry on. Is that okay? Everyone gets that, that bit of Great. Gary, you're a man today. Thank you for shaking your head vigorously so I know that you're okay. Let's carry on the next bit. 27 to 30. Jesus basically says, he turns to Peter, says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demands you to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I pray for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. I uh, deny me three times that you know me. Yeah. Okay, this is probably one of those famous scenarios in the Easter story. Do you know what I mean? Like, as we go through this, there's going to be key bits that we remember when we have Easter, Passover, this bit, then at, um, in front of Pilate. All, you know, we have these moments. This is one of them. So it's really important we read the words rather than assume from the story that we know. First bit to realize he starts off, Luke recorded that Jesus says, Simon, Simon. Doesn't say Peter, Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, his original birth name, before Jesus gave him the name Peter. 
Now, youth and kids out there, if a parent of yours says your full name, not once, but twice, you know something's gone wrong. Whenever someone goes to me, Sanjeev, I know something's wrong. But adding another Sanjeev in there, I've messed up somehow. And it's a way of Jesus capturing Peter's attention here by saying, Simon, Simon, whoa, okay, Jesus, I better listen here. He says, Satan demanded you. Interesting, demanding, the, the wording here is meant to say a request with an expectation of result. It's not saying, please, can I, it's, I expect to have. Satan has demanded to have you, to um, sift you like wheat. The idea of sifting in this way, what they would do is they would take all the wheat and they would use it in a vigorous way to try and remove all the rubbish from the wheat so you just have to find grain. It was, it was a way of literally destroying the wheat so that they can have the bits that were good. You know, for us, it would be similar to picking someone to pieces or leaving someone in the dust. This idea of literally destroying so that you'd have just this bit left. Satan wasn't looking for a good bit left. He was looking to sift to have nothing left. In fact, Satan's aim was to leave all the disciples like Judas, giving up the heart for God and turning to the heart of pride. And it's interesting, the wording here as well, when it says to have you, Jesus is saying it plural. So he's turning to his um, first among equal, Simon Peter, and saying, Simon, Satan had asked for you all, in a way that you all will be sifted. It's interesting to know that Jesus has gone to spiritual battle for the disciples. He's already gone to spiritual battles for the disciples. Jesus doesn't go, this is what you have to do. This is, the, this is what was going to occur. This is what's going to happen. And this is your action plan. Jesus says, I have prayed for you. That is battling. Small comment. We need to be battling in prayer, church. Let prayer not just be a nice little thing that we do. Prayer is part of spiritual battle. And yes, a spiritual battle is going on. Small comment. Jesus has already done that so that his faith may not fail. Interesting to note that what this is talking about is for Jesus, uh, for Peter not to deny Jesus completely by faith, but that his nerves will fail. That's what we see in the comment, that kind of excruciatingly sober comment that Peter will deny Jesus three times. It wasn't a moment to say, I don't believe in Jesus, but it was talking about his nerves failing in that way. Interesting, before we get to that moment, Peter's response here is full of that arrogant pride of being like, don't be silly, Jesus. That's not going to happen. I will die with you. I will go to prison for you. Jesus, you're, you're talking rubbish here. Of course, I'm not going to be separated. Look at me. Look at me. I'm fine. Again, noticing Peter's pride and arrogance 
seeping to the surface here. And we see Jesus' words that we know well. We need to be careful that our response in moments like these are not like Peter's. And when they are, we need to know that the sifting will occur. Please listen to Adam's preach last week. Just an insight about suffering that helps us with this. This comment is not about that we don't go through suffering. This comment is about we will go through suffering. As we go through suffering, where are we at? And Peter's response here is that, I suppose, naivety and thinking that I won't go through this, Jesus. It's not going to happen to me. And with this emotionally filled prophetic word, we will come on to this moment where Peter will lose his nerves of faith, even to a young girl. We will go through suffering. But the beautiful narrative here is Satan is looking to sift his disciples away. God used this sifting to build the disciples up. In fact, what we see is Peter's wording comes true in the end. He does go to prison for Jesus. He does die in an excruciatingly way. He does die for Jesus. Peter's words does end up being true, but not at this moment. He had to go through the sifting to get to the right moment where he could say that. Beloved family, we go through sifting. But it's where we lie, where we base, where we are persistent, where we are obedient, where we are trusting in God's word over us to know that he has gone for spiritual battle for us. Jesus has gone to spiritual battle for us. So though we go through suffering, beloved family, and we do go through suffering, beloved family, the question we need to ask is, where are we persistent about obedience for? Are we trusting in the promise of what Jesus says over us, so that when we go through that, we can recognise that though the enemy wants to pull us away from faith, God wants to build us up in character and faith. Adam's preached last week and tackled this point very well, so please do listen to it. Let me go on to the last bit. We're nearly there, people. Okay. This is the last section here. <clears throat> and he said to them, Well, I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals. Did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. Let the one who uh, has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressions. For what is written about me has it, um, has it fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Okay. Jesus' last instruction in this interaction, essentially the summary is, 
be prepared. It's gonna get hard. Essentially, is that be prepared. It is about to get hard. However, this gets mistaken by the disciples, by them not understanding the comparison Jesus makes. He starts off by saying, remember the times we used to go out when, when I've gone with you, or when I sent you out as a 12, or when I sent you out as a 72. Do you remember that? They're going, yeah. Jesus is going, do you remember that you didn't have to take anything? They're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good old days, they were good, great days. Pre-2019, they were great days. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it was like they were saying, remember those days. Jesus saying, now, what's about to happen, this is what it's going to look like. So he's taking a memory peg of theirs and isn't saying, now, in the same way, this is literally what I'm saying, but as you remember that, here's a metaphor of what you're going to have to do. You've got to be prepared. Previously, you didn't need any money. Why is to take money now? Previously, you didn't need any food. Why is to take food now? In a sense, by what Jesus is about to go through, he's recognising his popularity is about to heavily drop. And it's not going to be as easy for them. But the disciples don't notice that. Now, you're probably asking me, well, Jesus, you're making this claim. Why are you saying that it is a metaphor? Well, we need to look at the hermeneutics of the Bible. We need to look at the rhythm and flow of the Bible to see that. So very quickly, one, Jesus never resulted in violence out of protection. The only time we see him acting this way is the righteous anger in a temple where he flips the table. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what we see. But he never acts in that violent way. Two, we see Jesus rebukes Peter later on by cutting off a soldier's ear. A soldier that's coming to basically take Jesus to be killed. Jesus rebukes him. Three, if we look at the church's non-violent response to the persecution in Acts 4, we see their reaction grounding Jesus' teaching by saying our weapons is faith and prayer. So we know from hermeneutics, look at the rhythm of the Bible, Jesus wasn't trying to basically say, when it says it's enough, two swords, let's go. Stabbing swords, like let's, let's get going. He's not trying to say that. In fact, the description of it's enough is Jesus just getting frustrated and going, it is enough. Don't even think like that. That's not what I mean. Jesus' point is to say, get ready. Be self-sufficient. It's about to get hard on the mission I'm calling you to. It's a call to say, prepare yourself to be rejected just like I am going to be. Prepare yourself to get rejected. Act in a way knowing God's glory over you. But make sure you're prepared in that as well. Faith doesn't mean naivety. It's really important. We should expect in life that people are not going to like us. We need to expect in life that God's provision comes through sometimes being prepared. God's provision, you know, this, God works in miraculous ways. But he doesn't always suddenly just pour bread from heaven and suddenly we, we get to pick it up and eat it. Do you see what I'm saying? We need to be prepared for mission. It, it needs to be paired with that. It's a metaphor, not for us to spread violence, but for us to be prepared for the gospel that we are called to 
partaking. Let me come into that. I'm sorry, I've recognised that going through this. This is heavy. And I'm trying to keep within the time that I can. But the important thing we need to take away is the fact that God's glory will be seen in us as we are prepared for mission for him as we serve like him. And we see the fulfilment of that in this bit that he quotes from scripture, which is from Isaiah. Isaiah 53. This, by the way, please read Isaiah 53. As I was reading it this week, I was stunned by how prophetic this chapter is. This is beautiful. I, I, I don't have time to read it all. But hopefully you can see just little bits that you can already recognize. Being like, oh yes, Jesus. Like, he's definitely in that. Just a hint. Crush and cause him to suffer. So what happened? Isaiah um, 53 verse 12, which is the last bit. I'm just going to read that. This is what Jesus was quoting. Therefore... I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made an intercession for the transgressors. We live in the aftermath of the cross, and it's not hard to see that that was Jesus. The disciples didn't. They saw Jesus, this, this miracle man, this saviour, this warrior. They had in their mindset this saviour, Messiah, that was going to ride on a horse, cut them free from the Romans so they could be saved. And we read Isaiah 53 that Jesus was crushed, caused to suffer, poured his life out to death so that we, those who were sinners, transgressors, could be free. For the sin of many. I tell you who's a servant of servants, that's my king. He served us, not only through actions, but through life. Life pinned, nailed to the cross. The disciples were baffled as Jesus was trying to get this. They got it confused so many times, even to the point where they were willing to pick up two swords to ready to stab people who were coming in front of them. They didn't get it. The beautiful thing, like I said, is because we live in the aftermath of the cross, we know what Jesus was pointing to. But let us not accidentally act like the disciples by misunderstanding what Jesus is calling out. We need to serve with great love and affection, not just in a Sunday service, but with our lives. We need to make sure that we don't let pride bubble up to the surface, so that when we go through suffering, we don't say, oh God, you have forsaken me, but recognising the truth that he has based in us, though emotionally difficult, knowing that a sifting is not to remove us from faith, but actually to build us up more in him. And we need to be prepared to go through persecution, to go through difficulty, to go through where he is calling us for the gospel. Though it's beautiful agony, we're sending the links today. We want more moments like that. Where we have a privilege of building people up in the church to then release them where God's going, calling them to go. Our church, 
our heart is not to build up an empire of people that we can say, look at us, look how great we are in Seven Oaks. No, our heart is to say we want to raise up fellow believers, fellow servants who we can raise up and disciple from the youngest to the oldest and to say, be sent. Our heart's agony cries out because we're going to miss you, but it's beautiful you are following the kingdom of God. This is not a service for socialising alone. This is a community of being prepared for the kingdom of God. Do you want to stand with me? No. Oh, 30 minutes, B. Okay. This T-bone steak of verses is really hard to sometimes follow. Because it's moments of basically saying it's no longer us just receiving something, it's something that we have to do. And it's emotionally draining. But it's true. So I just want to take a moment before we finish and then people pick up the kids and you who parents please apologise to the kids workers on my behalf. I just want to take a moment of just allowing us to recalibrate, to recognise what God is saying over us. So if you would like to, totally optional, this is your relationship with him. If you want to put out your hands as an act of service of our lives to the king once again, then please do so. It's a physical sign of something going on internally to say, Jesus, I have come to serve as you have served me. Again, it's the application of thinking what areas of church you want to get involved in, those kind of things, and don't get me wrong, those are important. But Jesus isn't looking for an hour, he's looking for your life. So if this is you, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. And after the, once we finish, there's going to be a handful of us on uh, the left side, my right, your left. And we just want to pray, lay hands and pray over you in a COVID-friendly way. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we give our lives fresh again to you to say, God, as you were the servant of servants, we want to serve with you. We recognise that when we go through times that are difficult, our heart is to persist in knowing the truth that God has for us. And Heavenly Father, we as a church don't want to be naive to the mission of God, but we want to be prepared that when it gets hard, we trust in you, we're prepared to follow you, and Holy Spirit, you will continue to enable us as we go. We thank you, my glorious Saviour, in your holy name, mate. Amen. 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 Amen.